Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show, where we take what fans were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s, generally in letters to Doctor Who magazine, and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to what's said in the letters, or it might go somewhere else entirely. This is podcasting without a safety net, folks. For this episode, I'm joined by my Doctor Who show co-host, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob. Here we are again, and I have a copy of Doctor Who magazine in front of me. Any guesses as to what it might be, or any preferences even? I think it's going to be 173. No. <laughs> Lower. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> well, we could be here all night if we do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we're going back to broad, the, the show's being broadcast times, are we? Yes, we are. And what number have we got? We are at number 132 of January 1988. I was about to say that must be bang in the middle of the McCoy era, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yes, it is. Where are we? We are we are just after season uh, 2024, yeah. yeah. We've had one season of McCoy just. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with a short one, but I think we might have something to riff on here. This one's called What Pilot? Could you please answer the following question? I've been following Doctor Who since 1973 and recently came across a reference to a pilot episode that was never shown. Can you help me in finding more about it? Darren Gregory, Blackpool, Lancashire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a different sort of letter to start off with, isn't it? Look, it, it, it's interesting in a couple of ways. First of all, this is Doctor Who fandom very much pre-Google, but yep. also yep. pre-most reference books. Uh, and so if you didn't know the answer to a question uh, I, and you weren't a member of a fan club, I guess writing the magazine was a very natural and obvious thing to do. And uh, yeah. and, and he has done that. When it said what pilot, I thought, you know, we're going to talk about the faceless ones or um, <laughs> um, time flight maybe? Um, nope. No, but no, no, we're talking about the pilot. Yeah, look, again, I am trying to remember when I first learned that there was a pilot episode. Mm-hmm. I I know it would have been once I was a member of Organised Fandom, which was about the same time this letter was written. Um, and I suspect it's when I first started borrowing audio cassettes from the local club's audio department. And, mm-hmm. and, and the listing had an unearthly child brackets pilot, an unearthly child episodes one to four. And, and that would have been the what's this and you know dad, yeah. dad would have given me the sometimes shows make a pilot uh, you know that, that that speech from um uh, what's the movie um uh, one of those tarantino movies oh, yeah. i think yes yeah 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 uh, yeah so i i sort of learned what it was i think i saw it at a club meeting a very scratchy copy i probably didn't see a proper really good copy until i got a copy of the hartnell years vhs it is a fascinating thing to watch because all the beats are there, mm-hmm. and some of it's word for word the same, but there are a lot of goofs in there, like a lot of goofs, production goofs yeah. in there. You can see why they redid it. You can see why they redid it, and there's also things that they have turned down just a little bit. Huh? The Doctor is a lot more explicit about where and when he is from in the pile, and they turn that down to... You know, I'm just a wanderer from another. You know, it it, it gets turned down a little bit there. Um, some of Susan's exposition is toned down a bit. Uh, I think instead of Susan reading the book about 
the French Revolution and saying, that's not right, which is a really effective but subtle thing. They do the sort of doing the ink test, the, the Rorschach's mm-hmm, blot, mm-hmm. Which, is, which is very effective and very creepy, but it feels like let's do something really effective and really creepy that actually makes no sense. Um, yeah. it, it's just too unearthly. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your <laughs> memories of it? My memories of it, I first saw it at a 23rd of November celebration in 1987 with our local fan group, uh, the club president, Mark, who listens to our podcast and has written to us before. So he'll be be listening to this and nodding along. He got a copy of it from Dallas Jones, the uh, president at the time of the Australian Doctor Who fan club. The Dallas Jones. The Dallas Jones. And it was a very sort of multi... multi faceted not multifaceted you know multi, I mean? multi-gen multi-gen that's it that's what i'm thinking of <laughs> yep. but we sat there we we sort of put it on at quarter past five or whatever it was and and sort of sat there watching it thinking it's the 23rd of november 1987 oh my god back in 1963 well this wasn't the one that was going out on tv but we were sort of watching it as a, as a different take on what had gone out on tv that night and oh i was just amazed by it that, that I could actually see this because folks this was this was the days where you just couldn't get a hold of the pilot episode of Doctor Who it just wasn't a thing unless you knew people no absolutely as I discussed several months ago now on our main show when we discussed season one it is remarkable how many things we think about as being clear parts of the show are there on arrival right there in the pilot but but again you watch it and you can see how it's just not quite. Mm. tuned quite right and the second go they had absolutely is far far better just from tightening the script turning a few things down a bit bringing it back in the line but also just not having the camera camera bank into everything every six seconds and Hartnell <laughs> dropping his clothes all over the place and people missing cues you know it's it's actually really badly done yeah shall we move on we should letter two letter two is called so what I am writing about the connected subjects of the BBC Archive's dogged search for old episodes of the show, the BBC Enterprise's video releases, and repeats on television. Upon reading that Steve Bryant has obtained copies of two more missing episodes, I am tempted to comment, so what? After all, who is ever going to see these episodes apart from Mr. Bryant and whoever cleaned the prints up? Apart from the Five Faces and even briefer Monsters series of repeats years ago, there is no evidence that the BBC intends to show any old stories, especially if they do not have copies of all the episodes. With customary verbosity, the Doctor Who office at the BBC says that no repeats are planned at the moment, and that seems to be the end of that. There are many fans of the series who have never seen any Hartnell episodes, I am sure, and yet there are dozens of them languishing in the BBC archives, presumably to remain as silent tributes to posterity unless they are released at the BBC's leisure as videotapes at great cost, brackets £25 for Day of the Daleks indeed, for a public which, in all fairness, has already paid to see them. I know that old episodes are sometimes shown at conventions, but as far as I can recall, the Dwas convention cost £14 per day, plus any residential expenses, which is a little steep for younger fans, but must, in the absence of other alternatives, be their only recourse. Michael McManus, New Malden, Surrey. 
Uh, look, it would be very easy to sort of laugh at Michael's lack of predicting the future, but <laughs> and look, we probably will yes. in a moment, but it is a genuinely interesting question when you put yourself in the mind of somebody in January 1988, and particularly someone who probably doesn't have a large disposable income. And let, let's face it, the, the median age of fans in 1988 probably still was erring in the side of actual high school kids. You know, it, yeah. it, there, there was still a show on the air and young people were definitely the, the target, even though there were fans um, coming through, well, fans sticking around. And, and it would have been a genuine question to go, well, hang on. Okay, great. Somebody's found two missing episodes of a story I'm never going to see because it's not going to be repeated on free-to-air television and it's probably not going to be released. And if it is, it's going to cost £25. Mm. That's a legitimate gripe. And I I think that we sometimes are a little um, forgetful that not everybody in Doctor Who fandom is in the middle of their career earning a bit of money and, you know, they can go, hey, you know what, I want that character options figure. I'll go grab it. Or I'm just going to pre-order every Blu-ray box set that comes out because, you know, it's... I can. I can. You know, let, let's not mince words. Rob, you, you and I can afford to buy the Blu-ray, Blu-ray box sets and, sure. and, you know, it's not going to be a case of, well, it's that or cat food this month. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we are, we are, dare I say, privileged to be able to do that. And that was even more the case back in 19... 88, 14 pounds to enter a con it was a lot of money. I can remember cons down here where $100 a ticket was not unusual and, and it was a case of, well, okay, you know, are we going to get value out of that? Are the guests going to be good enough? The, mm. the, the VHS releases did come down in price. I think they ended up about 10 to 12 pounds uh, in the UK, depending on what the tape was. Well, Day of the Daleks, I remember, got released here eventually as like what they used to call i think nice price and i think it was like about 1999 yes which is about 10 pounds yes that that, that that was when they were re-releasing some of those early ones as um yeah sort of just cheap cheap and nasty copies but an average tape here was 30 bucks yep and 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 again when i was a teenager i couldn't afford to buy every video i i really couldn't afford to afford to buy any of the early ones and um after that, it's like, well, you know, I want to see the Aztecs. I'll buy the Aztecs. I'll buy Team of the Cybermen. I'll buy the Years tapes because I'll get to see stuff. But I guess I'm not going to buy the Three Doctors because I can't afford that. I'm not going to buy Robot because I can't afford that. And, of course, they were repeated here often, so I didn't need it, um, which is a thing that's very different. But I kind of like those days, you know, when I was younger and mm. you only got things because you had a birthday or because you fell into some money somehow, yeah. or whatever. And it made you very selective about what you had. And on the shelf, there might be five videos or ten videos or whatever. And that was your whole world. And it became very important. And now you can buy the Blu-ray box set of a whole season. It's like, oh, yeah, I got the whole season. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the, <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> the, the, the idea of completed sets was um, just something that only, you know, very, very rich fans who are... Uh, you know, didn't have wives, you know, were, were able to, to afford. It, 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 Did you say lives or wives? Uh, both. Um, both, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was a thing. And, and, and look, certainly, I, I like you, sort of, you know, remember very fondly when you'd earned those things and you'd selected something really special. Um, mm. But one of the great things about modern society is that we can go onto ebay.com.au and all these little things that I couldn't get at the time, 
I, I can now go back and go, ooh, I wouldn't mind having a copy of that now. So something like the Dalek Chronicles, which was the, the compendium of all those Dalek comics from the 60s, mm. I would have loved to have had that as a teenager. There's no yeah. way I could have got a copy of that as a teenager. But now you go on eBay and you go, ooh, $20 plus postage. I'll have one of those, please. Um, yeah. For me, it was Doctor Who, A Celebration by Peter Haney, mm. the, the book I borrowed most from the local library as a kid. And then eventually I could just buy a beautiful, lovely hardcover copy of it. Yes. The one exception being I would have loved to have had the 20, I think it was, no, maybe 30th anniversary pewter chess set. Uh, oh, but that was worth hundreds of pounds back in the 90s. It is now worth thousands of pounds. <laughs> so I'm not getting that anytime soon. Um, mm. But look, look, everything that he was saying would eventually happen, did eventually happen. This is this is one of those, you know what, give it a year. And the, v- yeah. the VHS will start coming out. Give it two years. UK gold starts again. But, but again, you needed to have, um, particularly if you're a kid, parents who subscribe to satellite TV. So it wasn't the be all and end all either. I think, I think that... Um, yeah, it was just a different time, and easy as it would be to laugh at him, I think he made actually quite serious and valid points. Okay. Final letter, Dave, yeah. is called Impressed. Yesterday, I saw the USA tour bus, and I had a great time. Not only was the bus there, well, I hope it was there, <laughs> uh, but, but so were Janet Fielding and Sylvester McCoy to talk to us and sign autographs. The displays in the bus were quite good. I found the Sontaran particularly well done and almost frightening, but there were a few complaints. First, the console, which isn't even a full console. It was far too short. The picture in issue 115 made it look bigger than it actually was, and nothing actually functioned. Then there was the lighting on the masks. That wasn't very good. Finally, what sort of gun was the Cyberman holding? It certainly wasn't a cyber gun. While at the exhibition, I was happy to hear that a Doctor Who movie is truly on the way, with a hopeful release date of November 1988. I also found Janet Fielding and Sylvester McCoy very entertaining, and I enjoyed their stories of Doctor Who behind the scenes. I am sorry that Derek Duberry, issue 115, doesn't seem to want to share Doctor Who with America. After all, we do make a lot of money for the show over here, and I think that makes promotion in the US just as important as in Britain. Besides, you did have the Blackpool exhibition for 11 years. We only have the bus for two years. William Gearhart, California, USA. I have no idea what this bus was, but I assume that they took... Oh, you've never seen it? No, I assume they took um, these things that we sort of are used to being in exhibitions in the UK and pull them on a, a hollowed-out bus and drove them around America. Is that correct? You've got it. Well, You've that, got that's, it in one. That's what I thought. <laughs> to, to which the answer about why wasn't the console full-sized was probably, it was on a it's bus. On a bus. <laughs> and, you know, why Why were there not quite as many items as you would have liked and it wasn't quite as big as you thought? Because it was on a bus. Uh, <laughs> why wasn't it like Blackpool? Because it was because on, it was a, on bus. a bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So look, we got that out of the way, and I had to because I was laughing hysterically at, at, at the very obvious answer to those questions. Um, yes. It's something we've touched on a few times with these letters, and I think it's not coincidental because I know you picked the letters, Rob, and I know this is something that you're interested in, and mm. and that is the experience of Doctor Who fandom outside of the UK and even outside of Australia, and particularly in. America. And when I heard that this was 
a letter from January of 88 and that uh, McCoy and Fielding were there, I thought, I have no doubt that JNT was probably also there, having (laughs) twisted arms and got those stars over so that he could do the trip, um, which is something that we now, as fans, really kind of debate in a contested way when Mm. we talk about JNT's legacy. Was it right for him to be jetting off to the US all the time and dragging his stars with them was it happening to the detriment of the show? And and there are legitimate questions to ask. This is January of 88, so I think if there's any time to do it, it was then, because I don't think the production would have been kicking off at this stage, given they just aired a season. Mm-hmm. But it is true as well to say, to some extent, it did grow the show in America. Not yeah. to the levels that I think JNT would have liked, but it did keep an interest going there. And it did, I think, keep fans like the author of this hooked and involved. I think people like William have a, uh, some different ideas about how to promote the show, though. He says, like, it should be promoted as much in the US as in Britain. Does Does William know that it's a public broadcaster making the show in Britain and it's kind of a different vibe in terms of promotion than what he might think of as promotion over there in California? Yeah, and, and you know, there's also that old thing that how much can you promote the show and, and how much Biden will you get for that buck? You know, even if you promote the show a lot in America, how many Americans will watch a slightly sad, sad um, you know, very poorly budgeted show as, as, I mean, you know... On PBS. On PBS. And, and you, know, yeah. you know, look, season 24 had just been made. And that is, I think, in terms of value and... and um, budget the the low point of the show and i would argue potentially in terms of story writing also the low point of the show and mm-hmm. i'm not sure that even with the best publicity in the world you're going to get 20 million people in america tuning in for trial of it um for, for time in the rani um no. that's that's just a reality but but they were loyal fans and look we didn't get a bus out here uh i, no. I had to travel to longleat i had to travel halfway across the planet in 1991 yeah. to get to a uh, to Momi and Longleat, so you know we didn't get a bus. We w- I think it's just the distance, the tyranny of distance, because the fans certainly were here, but I think it was just too expensive to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, it wasn't, and also just the time. I mean, the difference between a six-hour flight each way and a twenty-six-hour flight each way, at, yeah. at the end of which, you know, you've got Peter Davison just horribly jet lagged and being monstered by fans at Maya. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it, it is a different proposition, but, uh, you know, we, we we didn't get it. So, look, yeah, yet another insight into just how different US fandom was. And in some ways, they got things that we didn't hear in Australia, but in other ways, they were probably more distant than we were here in Australia, because at least in Australia, at the very end of the day, we had our main street, you know, our main public broadcaster, the ABC, on Channel 2, on free-to-air, regularly showing Doctor Who, which is more than... Frankly, I think any other country in the world got. Yeah, maybe New Zealand was similar-ish. Maybe. I'm, I'm not quite sure they had as many repeats as we did, but they're probably close. No, they didn't. Um, they didn't, you know, but they were close. The, the UK got the show first, but they didn't get much outside of the new show. No, well, that brings us back to Michael McManus talking about, you found all these episodes, but I'll never see them. Wow. It just was a different <laughs> world, wasn't it? It was a different world, Dave. And on that note, uh, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. We'll be back next month with a guest. We will. But until then, I've been been Dave. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.